0: One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light.
1: On the last two episodes of revealing the true light, we drew the focus tight on 15 reasons why we should not believe in the doctrine of reincarnation. Now on this episode, we're going to focus our attention on the concept of resurrection. There's four main views actually of the spiritual journey of human beings that dominate world religions. Number one is resurrection, which is found in Christianity, Islam, Zoroastrianism, and sometimes in Judaism. Then number two, you have reincarnation, as found in Hinduism and New Age spirituality, but you also have beliefs like, number three, the evolution of the soul on higher spiritual planes. That's found in religions like Baha'i, Shinto, and Taoism. And then number four, you have those who believe in the cessation of personal existence altogether. When you die, that personal being that you are ceases to be existent as found in Buddhism. But we are going to focus our attention on resurrection on this episode. And to try and describe the ultimate destiny of those who are resurrected is like trying to compare an acorn to an oak tree. There's no comparison between that little seed that has an invisible essence of life within it that only needs to be buried so that it can be resurrected into this mighty tree, this majestic oak tree that doesn't even look like the seed it came from. And what God is taking us toward, if we are participating in the truth, is so far removed from what we are, there's just really almost no comparison. Let me start with a conversation that Jesus had with the Sadducees who refuted some of his teachings. The Sadducees were the elite intellectuals in Israel at the time of Jesus. And they did not believe in supernatural things. They didn't believe in spirits. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. But Jesus refuted that. And he said these words, they who shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, neither can they die anymore, for they are equal unto the angels and are the children of God being the children of the resurrection. And so he identifies children of God with this new title of being children of the resurrection. This is very much a part of who we are. Now, when do you become a child of God? The Bible says, to as many as received him, to as many as received the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart, into your life, to be the Lord of your life, to them he gives power to become the sons of God. It comes with a spiritual rebirth. Jesus called it being born again or born from above. That's when a new spirit is formed within you, infused with the spirit of God, God's spirit comes into you when you invite Jesus to be Lord of your life. At that moment, you become a child of God. At that moment, you become a child of the resurrection because you are first resurrected spiritually. Ephesians chapter two, verse 21 says, you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Your soul, your spirit was in a spiritual death state. You were dead emotionally, dead mentally, dead spiritually, on your way to death. Physically, you were being devoured by this adversary of the human race called death. But Ephesians 2 verses 4 through 6 say it wonderfully, but God, thank God that little phrase is in there, but God. I was dead in my sins, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And that's talking about how when we gather together in worship, we feel that foretaste of heaven in our midst, that very life of God that resurrected us the day that we were saved, the day that we were born again. Now, baptism is a symbol of this spiritual kind of resurrection. When a person becomes a born-again Christian, normally the next step is water baptism. And the scripture says that we are buried with him in baptism and raised with him in newness of life. So as you come out of the water, it's a symbol of you and I being resurrected into a brand new beginning, a brand new life, a brand new relationship with God. And the old person is buried and swept downstream, so to speak. There's no comparison in any of the world religions with the experience of being born again. Prior to my salvation, I thought this idea of being born again that Christians talked about was the same as samadhi to a Hindu or nirvana to a Buddhist, but it's absolutely different. And if you have been born again, you have the hope of the resurrection You have the expectation that when Jesus comes back again, this is going to take place on a physical level. You start out with spiritual resurrection, but you're headed for physical resurrection where the body, the soul, and the spirit are all made perfect in Christ. Now, let me give you some scriptures that talk about it. John 6, 39 and 40, Jesus is speaking and he says, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing but should raise it up at the last day. And he said, and this is the will of him who sent me that everyone who sees the Son, that's capital S-O-N, everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life and I will raise him up at the last day. So he identifies the very last 24-hour day of this age as the day in which the resurrection shall take place. That's also verified by Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, that talk about the resurrection taking place after the reign of the beast or the Antichrist, after the era that is known as the tribulation period on the last day, the first resurrection will take place and we will be changed into the image of the Lord. Now, another scripture that deals with this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15, 16, 17, and 18. Paul is writing to the Thessalonian church and he says, this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So he's talking about those who are alive when Jesus comes back again. We will not be caught up to meet the Lord before the dead in Christ rise. The next verse says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God or the shofar of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. What an amazing event that's going to be. Utter, absolute transformation. This mortality puts on immortality. This flesh puts on a glorified form we will be so much different then than we are now. Now, as I was studying this out, I found 10 main ways that we will be changed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, which incidentally is God's original purpose. In the garden, when he formed Adam, he said, "'Let us make man in our image after our likeness.'" That's always been God's purpose. It was the original purpose. It's his continuing purpose. And it is his ultimate purpose that when we see him, the Bible says in John's first epistle, chapter 3, verse 2 when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What a statement! Well, if we're going to be like the Lord Jesus when he returns in glory, when he returns in the spectacular display of the celestial world spilling over into this world, if we're going to be like him, how are we going to be like him? There are 10 main areas where this promise will be fulfilled. Number one, we will be like him in nature. Instead of a human nature, we will have fully manifested a divine nature. In fact, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, it says, God has given us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these, we might be partakers of the divine nature. Now that's going to manifest in completeness at the resurrection and the translation of living believers. Well, what does that involve? It means all the emotional aspects of the personality of God being brought to perfection in you. And let me give you a few scriptures that enhance that idea. For instance, in John chapter 15, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Well, the same life sap that flows through the vine flows through the branches also. The same divine nature is being transmitted to you now in a lesser way during your earthly sojourn, but it will be in a spectacular way at that moment of glorification. For instance, Jesus said in John 14, verse 27, not as the world gives, give I unto you, but he said, my peace I give unto you. Not a peace that comes from God, but the peace of God that passes understanding, Paul said later on. Then in John 15, verse 11, Jesus said, these words I have spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you. Not a joy that is human, but a joy that is divine in nature, supernatural. And then in John 17, verse 26, Jesus prayed for the church that the love that the father had toward him would be in them. So the supernatural capacity to love will be intensified and be like the very love of the father toward the Son. And of course, in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, Jesus said, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly of heart. In other words, you need to learn my way of acting and reacting with meekness, with gentleness, with lowliness, with humility. And not only did he exhort that we have these characteristics in our life, by the new birth, He brings forth these character traits in us to be perfected at the resurrection. So number one, we will be like him in nature. Number two, we will be like him in authority. Let me give you a phenomenal passage of scripture. Psalm chapter eight, verses four through six says, What is man that you are mindful of him? and the son of man that you visit him. For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. So that talks about God's intention for human beings who are in covenant with him is to have dominion. And that's revealed in a spectacular way in Revelation chapter three, verse 21, where Jesus said, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me in my throne as I also overcame and am set down with my father on his throne. Think of that, he said, to the overcomer, to those who overcome sin, overcome this world and all of its deception, overcome the lower nature, you're going to sit with him on his throne even as he overcame and has been seated on the throne of the father of all creation. That's the position of authority and power and dominion. Certainly the bride of Christ, the church is going to emerge in this glorified state to rule over the new creation. And that's a far-fetched thought to some, but it's a far-reaching truth to those who embrace the biblical worldview. Number three, In the resurrection, what other way will you be like him? You will be like the Lord Jesus Christ in knowledge. In John chapter 15, verse 15, Jesus told his disciples, I no longer call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I've heard from my father I've made known unto you. Now, of course, that was done in a limited way for the disciples that followed him on the earth but I believe it will be in an unlimited way when we receive a glorified state because we've already had this impartation. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16 says we have the mind of Christ. Think of that. The mind of Christ is infinite knowledge, infinite wisdom, all embracing understanding, no questioning in his mind, no searching for understanding, but a complete comprehension of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. That's in you in seed potential right now, but it's something you possess as a child of God. It's kind of like your spiritual DNA. We have the mind of Christ. And this is such a powerful scripture. 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve says, now we see in a mirror dimly. The King James Version says, now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know even as also I am known. In other words, I will know God and I will know the mysteries of the kingdom of God to the same degree that I am known by God in that depth of detail. Can you imagine? Can you even fathom the depth of what that means? Then we are going to be like him in works because in John 14, 12, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do because I go to my Father. Now, on one level, that means the calling that true believers have to pray for the sick, that they might be healed, even as Jesus did, to proclaim the gospel to those who do not yet understand the good news, just like Jesus did. But there are greater works yet to come that I believe will manifest in our glorified state. Number five, uh, we will be like the Lord Jesus Christ in inheritance. Remember, we're basing these statements on this, on the scripture in John that says, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We will be like him in our inheritance. In Hebrews chapter one, verse two, it says that Jesus was the heir of all things. But then in Revelation twenty-one seventeen, Jesus said, he who overcomes shall inherit all things. See, we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. To inherit all things that embraces not only the physical universe, but the celestial universe. Everything in creation, both natural and spiritual, is God's gift to the bride elect. And that's one way we will be like him. We will be like him in the immensity of our inheritance. Then number six and seven, we will be like the Lord Jesus in oneness with the Father and perfection. In John chapter 17, he said, Father, the glory you have given me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. Now in Hinduism, the future outcome of this spiritual journey is undifferentiated oneness with the oversoul, which is Brahman. You become one with some impersonal cosmic force where you are God. That's not oneness with God as taught in the Bible, not at all is a differentiated oneness not an undifferentiated oneness we it's relational and he said father the glory you've given me I have given them that they may be one even as we are one I and them and you and me that they may be made perfect and one Think of that, that your journey through imperfection is headed toward absolute perfection. There will be no flaw in you when you are resurrected. So you're going to be like the Lord Jesus Christ in oneness with the Father and like the Lord Jesus Christ in perfection. And also like him in fullness, in fullness. Because in John chapter one, verse 16, the Bible says, of his fullness have we all received. What does that mean? Of his fullness, well, Jesus was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. It pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, fullness of wisdom, fullness of knowledge, fullness of power, fullness of love. Every aspect of the character of God expressed in completeness within the firstborn son. But in John one sixteen, it says that of his fullness we have all received. And in his letter to the Corinthians, Paul talked about the end of the age when Jesus will deliver up the kingdom to the father that God may be all in all or that God may express himself fully in every son and daughter of God. That is absolutely spectacular. And there's no earthly words to describe what is coming our direction. Then we're going to be like him in glory, in appearance, because Matthew 13, verse 43 says, in that day of resurrection, the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, even as Jesus is depicted as having a face that shines like the sun in the writing of the prophets. So also the righteous, those who have been made righteous by the washing of his blood will shine like the sun in the kingdom of our father. Isn't that incredible? And the 10th way that we will be like the Lord Jesus Christ is in unchangeableness. We will be changed at the end of this age on the day of resurrection, never to change again. He said, I am the Lord, I change not in the Old Testament, but one day when that glorious event takes place, you will be raised out of the dust of mortality and you will be made a pillar in the temple of God never to go out again never to retreat into a fallen nature again. You will be permanent pillars in the kingdom of God, which is yet to come. What a fantastic overview of the 10 ways we will be like the Lord Jesus Christ once the resurrection of those who are dead in Christ and the translation of the living believers takes place on the last day of this age.